morning. It is, uh, it is good to be here, and uh, good to have the opportunity to share God's Word with you this morning. I approach it with uh, fear and trembling. I, uh, <clears throat> I shared with some folks that since I crossed that threshold of 70, my memory isn't as good as it used to be. Uh, last weekend, we weren't here, had an opportunity to, uh, to have a family gathering upstate, and uh, my older brother uh, was there, and, uh, and I love very much the time I had with him, but he's only a year and a half. Now, matter of fact, this next month he'll turn 74, and I'm 72, but his memory is uh, losing even faster than uh, mine. So I don't know if that's what I have in store. I may be a part of this Wendell gene that, uh, that we have. Um, but I'm trusting God through his spirit to bring to mind those things that need to be said this morning. Uh, I met with a pastor on Tuesday, I believe, I know it wasn't. It was Wednesday, uh, the day that they were leaving for uh, their vacation, and uh, and he had told me that um, he had concluded the series on Ruth, and I believe uh, he and Mickey sort of brought that together last week. I missed that. I meant to listen to it before this week. Maybe I shouldn't have, but I will uh, sometime uh, this coming week. But anyway, um, he concluded the the book of Ruth, which was entitled uh, The um, Story of Redemption. And it is a beautiful story. And it's one of the books that I enjoy reading. Right now I'm reading through the Bible, and and I read through Ruth back in early spring or late uh, winter. Uh, but, But it is encouraging. As I look at the, at the passage for uh, this week, uh, it was on Wednesday. Uh, I uh, have a devotional book uh, by uh, Max Lucado entitled uh, God is Present Every Day. And the one on Wednesday I want to share with you, I believe they have it to put up on the screen, but if not, I'll just read it to you. It was entitled... Grace gives more. And uh, uh, the passage that he uh, highlighted was from uh, 1 Corinthians 2.9 that says, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And then Max says this, Grace goes beyond mercy. Mercy gave Ruth some food. Grace gave her a husband and a home. Mercy gave the prodigal son a second chance. Grace threw him a party. Mercy prompted the Samaritan to bandage the wounds of the victim. Grace prompted him to leave his credit card as payment for the victim's care. Mercy forgave the thief on the cross. Grace escorted him 
into paradise. Mercy pardons us from our sins. Grace woos and weds us. Max says, let me spell it out. Ruth's story is a picture of how grace happens in hard times. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. He spotted you in the wheat field, ramshackled by hurt, and he was resolved to romance your heart. Through sunsets, the kindness of a Boaz, providence, whispers of scripture, um, the book of Ruth, even a book by Mac, which some may marginalize and disagard, others may think so, you may think so, but God sees you uh, in a masterpiece about to happen. This morning I want us to talk some more about grace, because grace is the overarching uh, theme of, of all Scripture. Matter of fact, uh, in Sunday school class this morning, they were talking about the old covenant, but then the, the covenant of grace. Uh, grace impacts all of our lives. Were it not for grace, we would not be here. And by here, I mean here at Living Legacy, because grace is what provided the means and even the desire for salvation. I want us to read this morning from Philippians um, chapter 2, verses uh, 12 through 18, uh, on the theme of realizing our full potential, both individually, but also corporately. As a church, God teaches us how we can know the fullness of his spirit. He teaches us how we can know the fullness of Jesus Christ in our life day by day. In Philippians chapter 2, verse uh, 12, it says, So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to will and to act for his good purpose. I believe the King James has both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. Hold firmly the message of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that, you, that I did not run in vain or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should rejoice and share your joy with me. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we thank you for your grace, and thank you for your word. You know our hearts. Our desire is to learn of you. Speak to us that that we might see the path to that fullness of potential that you have placed in us through Christ Jesus. For we pray in his name, amen and amen. Philippians 
should be a series, but we're going to sort of jump midway into Philippians. Uh, Philippians is a, a thank you note from uh, Paul, who at this time was in prison. Most people believe he was in Rome. Some say he could be in prison in Ephesus or Caesarea, but, but most believe that he was in, in Rome, and I think scriptures bear that out. Um, and when the people of Philippi, the church at Philippi, uh, heard about his imprisonment in Rome, they took up a collection. And uh, they, they sent it to him. Where's that gentleman's name? Ephrodites. It's probably pronounced. Mickey, that's one of those words that uh, you probably love to hear me struggle with it. But uh, Ephrodites was uh, sent with the money to Paul, and he remained with Paul. A matter of fact, he was <clears throat> took a, a, an illness and almost died, but he remained with Paul until Paul uh, wrote this letter, both to give thanks, but also took the opportunity to encourage them uh, in their Christian life and to deal with a problem that had sprung up that uh, that if for Didis had had mentioned to him where there was some arguing and disputing within the church. That happens in the church. And Paul dealt with it this way. He gave them in the opening verses of chapter 2 the... um, the example of Christ, but before that, listen to what he says. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete or full by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each for the interest of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. And he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he was talking about <clears throat> the, uh, that attitude, that behavior, that, that, that mindset, that lifestyle that Christ had, which was that even being God, he uh, emptied himself, became like a man. And made himself obedient to God, even to the death on the cross. And then it goes on to say that God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. The people of Philippi needed to hear this. Now, Philippi was established around 356 uh, B.C., by um, King Philip of Macedonia, who happened to be the father of uh, Alexander the Great. And he established a Roman colony there. Later it was taken over, of course, by the Romans, but they established a military outpost there. And a lot of the 
of the citizens of Philippi were former military people. And because uh, Philippi was a colony, a Roman colony, uh, all of the citizens of Philippi were also considered citizens of Rome. And if you think about that, it makes more significant what Paul says when he talks about our citizenship isn't here. <laughs> You're not a citizen of Philippi or Rome. We are citizens of, of heaven. It was in Philippi, um, the church was established through a Bible study of Lydia. Paul and uh, Silas preached the gospel and ended up in prison. God miraculously released them, and the, uh, the, lead, the head of the prison, the jailer, uh, came to faith in Christ, and the scriptures say, and his family. And so they were a part of this church at, at uh, Philippi. The magistrates of the city took Paul and Silas and, and, and beat them without a trial. When they found out that they were Roman citizens and they had done something uh, that was contrary to Roman law, uh, then they were fearful of these. And it may be why that the, uh, the church was able to get roots in the city because the government at that time uh, wasn't opposed to them. We are beginning to see some of that opposition uh, from governments today in many ways, and and we won't get into that this morning. Uh, When Paul heard the Macedonian call in, uh, where was he, in Troas, uh, it was the call to Philippi where he started that ministry. Silas, Timothy, Luke, and Paul first came to Philippi in about A.D. 51, 11 years before Paul wrote this letter and suggested that it was written from Rome and, uh, and it was important to the church of Philippi because of what they were going through. In this chapter 2, beginning with verse uh, 12, we find Paul giving us a picture of how to realize God's full potential in our life. Therefore, my dear friends, you have, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. The NIV says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I think it's the King James that says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But it, 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 the, the, the language really involves both of them. Work out your salvation. Remember, salvation is what? Salvation is by grace through faith. Not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. But then he goes on to say, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If we're going to realize the fullness of God, we need to see that balance between 
the work of God within us and the work of God out of us. Were it not for grace, we would not be doing anything of the Christian life and Christian work. Because God provides not only salvation for us, but he also provides the desire and will for his salvation. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you uh, to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. That work uh, that uh, the uh, Christian Standard Translation says to act, uh, in the King James it says to will and to do, uh, is from the same word that God, or that, um, that Paul uses when he says um, work out your own salvation, ergon, from which we get our word energy. But then he says, but it is God who works in you both to do and to act. And that word act is, again, that word ergon. He he works both for you to will and to act or to work for God's good uh, pleasure. God has given us an obligation to be about good works or righteousness. One of the things that's important, and you'll hear me say this, and and you don't have to accept my words. Let God show you in Scripture. We talk so often about having two natures. There has been two natures, but, but one at a time. The old nature was one that was controlled by the spirit of the God of this world, our, our adversary, the devil. And when we come to faith, if we, if we read in Romans chapter 6, that, that old man or old nature died. And we received a new nature. And if we do, by, do what we are by nature in Christ Jesus, we're going to do righteousness. Our We are prone to righteousness in Christ. Before Christ, we were prone to sin. Now listen, please hear me. I'm not saying that we do not sin. Why do we sin? We say, well, it's got to be that old nature is still there, and we need to beat that one down and lift up Christ. But that's not the case at all. When Jesus... was born of a virgin. He was conceived of God, but he was born in a human body. And because he was born in that human body, he experienced every desire that we do. As long as we are in this flesh, this flesh is prone to sin. And let me put it another way. This flesh takes care of itself. If it enjoys eating and we eat and eat and eat and we finally decide that we shouldn't eat that much anymore and that we're going to lose this weight and we're going to stop eating so much, what happens? Our bodies rebel. Any of you been there? Yeah. Uh, If we happen to allow our body to experience nicotine, And at some point we say, hey, this isn't good for my body, and it definitely isn't good for 
my uh, uh, testimony, and I'm not going to smoke anymore. What does your body do? It rebels big time. I've ministered for 13 years with people in addiction, and, uh, and I don't know how many told me that quitting smoking was harder than getting off cocaine, heroin, uh, meth, any of those drugs that, that, uh, that nicotine really gets a hold on this flesh, on this body. And as long as we're housed in this body, the body isn't concerned about doing God's will. It's concerned about doing that which pleases the body. And you may say that it's a matter of somatics, you know, just words, that when you say there's only one nature but we live in this flesh, that, that it's the same as one nature and the old nature, the new nature and the old nature. It may be except for this. When we look at the old nature and the new nature, we give them, we give them equal presence in our life. But the truth is, in Christ, we, by nature, will do righteousness, will do good works. Matter of fact, um, in, uh, in Ephesians that we had just read, let me get back to that one. Um, verse 10 says, For we are God's uh, handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance uh, for us to do. God has prepared us to receive his spirit, which will accomplish Good works. That's what God expects of us. And it isn't like he expects of us something that we're not able to do because he has given us a new spirit that guides and directs and empowers us. Both the desire to do it as well as uh, being able to do it. I uh, was looking at some material on this passage, and one of them said that you need to learn about the balance between power and purpose. And that word power we find in Scripture a lot, but, but many times that power uh, is a translation of two different words. One speaks of might. It's the Greek word dunamis. And, uh, and one speaks of authority, which is the Greek word exousius. And, uh, and they're, they're, they're two different things. We do have power, but we also have authority. Matter of fact, Jesus, before he left this earth and he gave the Great Commission, he said, all authority, all power is given unto me, both in heaven and earth. That power is the word exousius. All authority is given unto me, both in heaven and earth. Based upon that, go and, and uh, make disciples of all nations. We have that authority in us through Christ. I've probably shared this before, but let me share it again. God, uh, 
when I came to faith in Christ after pastoring for 10 years, being ordained for 12, um, boy, I was empty. And, and, and I didn't know what to try because my heart had deceived me all these years. And, uh, and I had a question. I mean, I was pastoring at the time just down here in Mannheim and at Bethel Baptist Church. And their first response to me was, you're not going to leave us, Pastor, are you? And I said, no. And then later on, their response was, oh, we had a false prophet being our pastor for the past year and a half. And that wasn't the case either. And, and I told them that I would stay, but I needed some time to really seek God about my calling because my question to God is, God, do you call a lost person to preach? And his response to me was, no, Ron, I don't call a lost person to be a pastor. But I do call a person to be a pastor even while they're lost. And, and a passage he gave me was out of Jeremiah where, uh, where God said to, uh, yeah, I believe it was Jeremiah, before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you and ordained you to this ministry. Um, God calls us to righteousness. In uh, Philippians chapter 6, talking about the grace of God, Paul says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. I think the uh, King James says, will perform it to the day of, uh, of Christ. Yeah, until the day of Christ. Confident of this. That's a word that Paul uses that means sure, no doubt. You know, this is it. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So as we're looking at realizing the uh, fullness of God in our life, our, our full potential, that's God's desire for us. And Paul says, I'm confident as I am confident for us individually, but even for us as a church. It would be nice if we had twice this many here, and probably last week we may have. Uh, but numbers isn't what God has been concerned about. He's been concerned about hearts that are open to, uh, to him. Our salvation is by grace, and, uh, and Paul says... Work out your own salvation. What did he mean by that? Matter of fact, that seems to go contrary to uh, what he says when he says, for by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And here he says, work out your own salvation. I, I like, uh, I think it's... Um, In Robert's word pictures, he uh, explains this, and I think I've skipped over it. Yes, when God says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, uh, he says, not slavish 
uh, terror, but wholesome, serious caution, as Vincent. Lightfoot says, a nervous and trembling anxiety to do right. Paul has no sympathy for cold and dead orthodoxy or formalism that knows nothing of struggle and growth. He exhorts as if he were, you love this, Mickey, an Armenian in addressing men. He prays as if he were a Calvinist in addressing God and feels no inconsistency in the two attitudes. Paul makes no attempt to reconcile a divine sovereignty and human free agency, but boldly proclaims both. The scripture says, we are one body in Christ Jesus. The body of Christ is the church, it's us. There are times when we may not look like we're one. There may be times when we don't act like we're one. But folks, that doesn't change the truth. I don't know how many people that I've talked to about Christ and about eternity, and they'll say, well, I don't believe in hell. And my response is, well, what difference do you think that's going to make? You think that hell doesn't exist simply because you don't believe in it? Or they'll say, I don't believe in God. Duh. I mean, so you don't believe in God. Is that going to change and say, God's gone? Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't change the truth. And it doesn't change the truth about the church and the church's potential as we are one in Christ. Matter of fact, in... Uh, In 1 Corinthians, let me find my place. Excuse me, in Romans 2, uh, verses 4 and 5, or that could be Romans 12, typo error. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. If we're going to come to our full potential, we need to see that difference between unity and diversity. One of the things that drew me as a young 20, 21-year-old back in 1967 when I first encountered Southern Baptists, and when I recognized God's call on my life as a pastor, I decided that, that I wanted to work within the Southern Baptist Convention. And the reason was this, that though there was tremendous diversity within the convention, you know, of churches that um, that only allowed those who were um, members of that church to take communion to churches that opened it up to anyone. I mean, th- th- there was a lot of differences in, in polity on how the church functioned, but there was a, a, a oneness and a commitment to sharing Christ, and they came together for that purpose. 
God designed the church as one body. But he also designed it to be diverse. If the church is not diverse, you know what I mean by diverse? I mean people that are that are different. And people that may even look at things differently, whether it be evangelism, whether it be worship, or whatever it is. God has designed the church to be diverse, and yet at the same time, it is one body controlled by the head, which is Christ Jesus. First time I talked to Mickey with this Armenian and Calvinism, and I never did get, matter of fact, there were times when I said, I just don't want to have anything to do with that. I found out later that I needed to come to a decision about that. Same way with eschatology, end times. I thought, it's all going to end up the way the scriptures say it is, you know, and I don't know that I need to try to fall in line with one thing or another, but I had a professor at Southwestern Seminary that, uh, and, and he was uh, teaching evangelism. As a matter of fact, he was teaching mass evangelism. And if I could remember his name, some of you that are maybe even a little bit younger than me, but around my age, would probably uh, know him. But, but he said this. He said, it is important that you have an eschatology. It's important that you have some idea and conviction of the end times because your eschatology is going to impact your evangelism. How you see God pulling this whole world in existence to an end is going to affect how we share our faith with others. And Paul said the reason that we need to work out our own salvation, and by working it out, he means simply, because he goes on to say, for it is God in us working this out. He is involved in our internal life, how we are from the inside, but he's also involved in how we uh, live it out and work it out in our lives. Does that mean that we don't have to do anything, that we just sit back and let God do it in us? No, that's not what it's saying at all. matter of fact, Paul is definitely not saying that. He's saying that that we have a responsibility, and part of that is found in... uh, In verse 14, when it says, do everything without grumbling and arguing. He couldn't have been talking to a Baptist church, huh? We can disagree and we can see things differently. Do you have an idea why that is? I'm sure Mickey does. Why is it that we find within the church that is one body in Christ that there's differences of understanding of what God is saying to the church and what he's saying in Scripture. Well, part of it is the difference between Alan and I, or Alan and Ramona, or even Ramona and I. There's not that much between Ramona and I, age-wise, but as, as, we, as we experience Christ, our understanding of him will change. 
It should. My understanding of the world and a whole lot of things has changed since I was 10, 12, even 20 to 23, uh, and later than that. And because of that, we, we, we may disagree as long as we agree on the central truth of Scripture, and that is that Jesus is the Christ and we have salvation through faith in him. And if you're not sure about that, read uh, the Gospel of John, because that was John's whole purpose. He said there's a whole lot of other books that could be written about this, but I have written what I have in the Gospel of John that you might know that Jesus is the Christ and that through faith in him you might have eternal life. And if you don't agree on that, then you're definitely going to have a problem within the church and within Living Legacy Church. But all the other stuff, now listen, the other stuff, am I saying it's not important? Yes, it is important. And I think that we have a responsibility to seek God and come to the point of of truth because we live in a day and time when it's very important that the church is about the work that it's doing. I hear so many people saying, especially in this past week with the shootings and all, is we've got to do something about this violence. You and I know the answer to that is in the hands of the church. We need to share the message of life, the message that's rooted in love and acceptance of being diverse and yet at the same time are, are one together as a family, as a church, but even more so as a nation. And our nation have gone through spiritual awakenings. We, of course, I haven't, we're just into this century and we haven't had a, a, a spiritual awakening. Uh, we've had revivals. Uh, in the 20th century, the 1900s, we've had some real serious revivals, but not the spiritual waking that swept across the, uh, the nation that just changed not only individuals' lives and communities, but even changed us as a nation. And it usually came at a time of, uh, of danger. And I think that's partly why Paul says that that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But then he ends by saying, even if my life is poured out as a uh, drink sacrifice uh, upon service to your faith, I count it all joy. There's a seriousness about our work, but there's a joy that permeates the Christian life and the life of the church. And that's why we can be going through difficulty and struggle, and yet at the same time know that joy that is ours because of our faith in God and know that that he does work all things together for good to those that love him, to the called according to his purpose. The passage that we looked at at the very beginning 
from 1 Corinthians 2.9 that says, uh, For eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. All things work together for good to those who love him. The called according ones, the ones that are called according to his purpose. Now there may be a debate as to who that is. But God wants us to know that we live in serious times. Matter of fact, uh, Paul goes on to say that uh, that we are do everything without grumbling. Everything. Not just some things, but everything. Uh, without grumbling or arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom... You shine like stars in the world. When I was uh, reading that this week, I thought, God, are you talking about today? We live in a time where fewer and fewer people are, are recognizing authority. We saw it this week in Philadelphia when police were doing their job and seeking to bring safety to the people of the community and people were calling them names and even striking them in some uh, places. I, I know I'm an old guy, but I was taught to have respect. Now, grant you, there may be some officers that aren't respectful. They maybe don't deserve our respect, but we need to respect their office, the, the, the duty that they have. Maybe, uh, and some of you may not know this guy, Dr. Spots. Remember him teaching on how to raise your kids? Pardon? Spot? Okay. Yeah, I got that on. Uh but he was the one that said that you shouldn't uh, say no to your kids. Now, later, he, he denounced that and said that that was, was wrong. Uh, because we live in a generation where people don't respect authority. And I tell you what, it's important to learn the lesson of authority. I remember one saying once that if you don't learn it in the home, you know, when mom or dad says do this, and you just don't pay any attention to it. Uh, you may learn it on the street uh, when they say you shouldn't do that and you do it and you get fined. But eventually, if you don't you learn the, the benefit of authority, you may be locked up for the rest of your life. Knowing how to respond to authority is very important. And if authority is wrong, then we have means within our nation to, to change that. Uh, but we live in a very treacherous time. And that's why he says to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, not that slave-type fear, but, but that anxiety of doing what we need to do when we need to do it in the way that God has called us to do it so that it may impact the world about us and will allow us to share, to, uh, to share the, 
I think the uh, the Holman translation says the message of life. The King James says the word of life. That word there that's translated word or message is the is logos, but in <clears throat> in speech it means the word that is shared through a human voice. It's 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 the message, and we have a message that the world desperately needs today. And our family desperately needs. It may seem at times like it's to no avail. And I struggle with that. I'm here today alone, not because my wife doesn't want to be in church, but she's not in church. And my son that loves the Lord uh, and grew up in the church is not involved in church today. But But I have faith in God that that those things that were taught to him as a child will ever remain with him. And the things that Pam learned fairly early in her life, she was in her teens when we got married, and, and she came to faith in Christ shortly after we were married and, uh, and really grew in faith and God has used her in, in many ways. So I know that it's it's there, and I just pray that God would stir that. And and you may have the same experience with some family, and that it, if it's like me, it, it it breaks your heart. But remember, <laughs> we know that He works all things together for good. He does to those that love him, those that are called according to his purpose. We are different because of our faith in Christ and because of the grace of God. I want to conclude with a uh, song that I've heard a good bit, but I, I, I picked up some words from it and I, I went home and I pulled up the lyrics on uh, the computer, and it's to the song uh, Believer by uh, Rhett Walker. Any of you familiar with it? If you heard it, you'd probably say, oh, yeah, I remember that. This is what he says. I walk a bit different now, now that my heart's been found. Nothing really feels the same. I hold my head a bit higher. I lift my voice a bit louder. Yeah, something inside me has changed. I am a believer. I know this is not my home. I know I don't walk alone. No matter what comes my way, I have peace through the trouble. I have joy through the struggle. Now my hopes in a brighter day. I, I am a believer. I am a child of the Father, an orphan no longer. No doubt about it, I am. And no doubt about who I am. I'm in the hands of the healer, the arms of the Savior. His grace makes me who I am. 
I am a gospel preacher, a heart on fire, a freedom singer, a testifier, because I've been redeemed. I am a mountain mover, a water walker, more than an overcomer. I'll grant you that's a song, and he had to get all the words that rhyme together with one another. But he's saying something that I think you've experienced and I've experienced. And as a church, we've experienced that. And that is that God has changed our hearts and that we, he is working in us to work out that salvation that he's placed within us through his grace. Will that end? <laughs> Will that work in? Not until we see him and are with him. The Christian life is a life of growth. And if you've stopped growing, then seek him and ask him to regenerate or re-energize, to use the term what we saw today, uh, our lives, that we might serve him. Let's uh, go to God in prayer as we conclude. Father, we thank you for your word and for your spirit. Lord, I thank you for living and or for uh, living legacy church. I, I thank you for each one that's here and for the families we represent and for those that are uh, that are on vacation, that are elsewhere today. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the diversity within this church. For I know that uh, if there is not diversity, then the church is not healthy. At the same time, I thank you for the unity that we have in Christ Jesus and our desire to share the message of life to a world that desperately needs it but may not want it. 